Hey, this interview was conducted about a year or so ago. And since then, the Patterns of Possibility podcast has disappeared and reemerged with a new, more focused mission of being yourself, living your truth, and making lasting friendships. Emotional intelligence is important to understanding yourself so that you can create the lasting friendships that you want. And the sooner that you learn about emotional intelligence, the better off you're going to know yourself, you're going to be able to live your truth, and you will make those lasting friendships. In this episode, JT talks about how he empowers kids to do just that. Hey, what's going on? My name's Coach Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his, and you're listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you replace harmful patterns with new possibilities. In each episode, we'll explore topics that inspire you to be yourself, live your truth, and make lasting friendships. In this episode, I have an interview for you. I'm back with interviews and very excited about this one. I know I say that for everyone, but people excite me. So I'm excited for this one too. My guest today is JT, and he is going to, of course, introduce himself because I let people tell their own stories. That's what I say. So JT, can you tell us who you are, what you do, why you're here? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm JT. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I am a director, creator, and executive producer of The Mr. K Show, which is a podcast for kids. And it's available on all streaming services. So wherever you get patterns of possibility, The Mr. K Show is there as well. Yeah, awesome. So Mr. K Show, I wonder... um, how did this come about? This is really interesting. Can you tell us more about what the show is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to start off with your first part of the question, how did it come to be? Um, I actually started at the beginning of the pandemic last year. I would never forget it. Friday the 13th <laughs> in March, um, I was a teacher in Philadelphia and our entire world got flipped upside down, just like a lot of other people at that time. And for the for the couple of weeks after, I was feeling so many um, emotions. And I really just wanted to just talk to people about what, what is happening and to highlight and showcase people. So I was doing exactly what you're doing, just having interviews, talking with people and, you know, talking to adults. And and talking to um, to teachers, talking to actors, talking to um, music therapists, and just showcasing the amazing work that they're doing um, in the educational space with children, with um, entertainment, puppeteering. And at the end of the summer, I had 10 episodes and I was like, all right, let me let me do this again. You know, it was a lot of fun. So I did another season, another 10 episodes. And at the end of last year, I was feeling that I was missing something. I was missing that passion, um, that drive. And I loved talking to all of the people that were on my podcast for the adults. And But there was just that something that was missing with creating something that's for kids. Um, I've been an early childhood educator for more than a decade in a variety of different um, roles. And I always had this knack for theater. Um, I grew up in the theater. My parents are... Um, we're in theater. We always did Christmas musical dramas and Easter musical dramas. I um, loved playing. Uh, there were puppet shows that were, um, you know, during the summer. And 
I just wanted to create something that was fun and engaging for for children. Um, when I was a preschool teacher, I wanted to mimic my day as a preschool show that we grew up and starting with a, a, a good morning song and ending the day with a goodbye song. And then throughout my time as a preschool teacher, I noticed that children need to be taught how to do things, you know, and that's how teamwork, the song teamwork came up, um, like teamwork, work together, work together. And, um, the kids would sing that song. And then I just like went on GarageBand, plucked a couple of things and just played it in the classroom. And it was so cool seeing kids like picking up buckets from centers and singing the song and working together. Um, and so a lot of those songs just came from, from my time as a preschool teacher, like many, many years ago. And so I had all these songs just in the, in my back pocket. And I said, you know, let's create something. And that's how the Mr. K show became a children's podcast um, from a adult podcast. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> you gave us a whole lot there and I really love it. I mean, I'm so glad that you're willing to share so much with us. So then you said that you started just um, with your own feelings about the pandemic and wanting to, to share with other people and understand what other people are going through. And you mm -hmm. just turned that into uh, essentially something for younger people, like a early childhood education. So that's like what, um, five, six, seven, eight, kind of like that age. Yeah. So I'm um, not really an age range on the show. I like to have all kids welcome because the second you start putting a, an age range on something, once a child hits that age, they're going to say, oh, that's a baby show or that I'm too uh, old for that. And mm -hmm. so I just have all kids, you know, from two years old, all the way up to 10 year olds who are who are loving the show and are very immersed. And I even have adults yeah. listening as well and enjoying it. So it's for I mean, it's for everyone. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, who doesn't like music? I, I still remember when you talked about uh, preschool, I thought about my preschool teacher and the impact that they had on me. I still remember it to this day. I, I remember one thing is where they helped me pour syrup on my pancakes. Mm. And I was just like, wow. And she actually like kind of poured it up from a little height. So it looked all magical when it fell. And those kind of things, you know, just stay with you. So when you give a child that experience at such a young age and with the music, you get that ingrained into them. They, they feel like excited to pick this up. Like you're saying, you've seen the kids just take your song and make it their own. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. So then. You know, uh, I wonder what was one of the, the challenges about, I'm curious about the, the challenge that you may have had with, like, I don't know, you said that it came pretty, I'm thinking it came pretty easily to create these songs, to come up with stuff. I mean, do you have, you have a backlog of, of items or things, songs that you've had, but um, things are constantly changing in our world. And so adapting those to younger people, like uh, they're using technology, whereas 10 years ago, they're not, they weren't really mm -hmm. as much. So I wonder, you know, how do you adapt to some of the more uh, recent challenges for, for kids? Because this is all about helping them um, understand kind of how to navigate through life, right? Absolutely. And the, the lessons and the values that we're showcasing are universal and they're from mm -hmm. generations to generations. And so a, a child could listen to this 10 years from now and it will still be applicable 
into what's happening. Um, but one one major movement that really um, changed my perspective was the um, Black Lives Matter movement and in making sure that all children are seen, especially um, people of color. And so our podcast, as the director, I um, created a diversity content committee where I have other people from um, different backgrounds, people of color, and we're able to create and make sure that all of our shows are making the possibilities for everyone and not thinking about, okay, well, that won't, a, a child might not know what that is, or let's add this into, into the, um, a story. And it just really has had these conversations. They're tough conversations that you need to have. And so that is one specific area that we're definitely going to be continuing into season two, um, just making sure that all people from all backgrounds are are seen and heard. I guess heard because it is a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but we um, definitely but, get it. But one part that we do allow is um, at the end of each episode, we have a show and share where the king of sharing comes out. He sings his song. And then a real life child comes on and they get to tell the king of sharing anything that's happening. And, you know, children at a very young age, you know, the smallest minute things are really big in their lives. So uh, one kid said, I like to do flips on a bounty house. And I said, or the king of sharing said, cool, who did you like to do it with? Or um, they they did a baking challenge or um you know, I have a dog, I have a cat, you know, like the smallest things, but it's just allowing for children to have a platform to be seen to be heard, um, you know, and to make our our world even even better by hearing yeah. and listening from them. Yeah, like I said, I mean, you're early childhood education. So this is really telling them or really showing them telling showing not going to nuance it here. So yeah. they're really <laughs> understanding and learning that what they say is important. And that is the lesson that I think you're share, you're getting from that. They're learning that what they have to say is important, no matter how silly it might seem to us as adults, but it's something important and worthwhile. You've got our attention. You've got a lot of people's attention. What do you want to say? That's fantastic. I think that's very empowering. And then you talked about diversity. That's really awesome too. I like that you're talking about diversity because um, it's a culture shock when you grow up and you believe the world is one way and then you run into people that completely flip your world and you're confused. You don't know what to do. You're combative. You're, you don't know what to do with that. And so you're giving them the tools to not only deal with the ability or not only, um, not only understand what's out there, but also understand how to deal with it when they come across it. Right. So Fantastic. I can't wait to hear some more about diversity. There's a whole lot of things to talk about um, with, uh, with uh, the awareness that we have as adults and things that are coming in, like ableism and uh, even, you know, uh, ageism, which is, mm -hmm. I don't know if they're kid appropriate, but maybe they are. What do you think? Yeah, those are those are topics that, you know, are people think, oh, children won't be able to to be able to handle or they won't be able to learn. We have to do it in a way that that they'll be able to understand and do it on a you know just make it empathy, you know. Uh, one of our episodes is the golden rule, do unto others as you want to be treated and um making sure that 
you're treating all people with respect, you know, um, that's such a great point you brought up, Lee, regarding, um, you know, ageism, because once people reach a certain age, it seems like, okay, we don't want your ideas anymore. Oh, you you can't handle technology. Oh, we don't want you, you know, and then it, it seems that people are, are being, you know, thrown out and younger people are being brought in. And so um, that's why we, uh, our podcast has people hired who are, you know, of all ages, you know, everyone is welcome. Um, as long as you're able to produce and to create at a, at a high quality level, then you know, everyone is welcome. Um, but that's such, those are really great ideas and, you know, good values that we can definitely explore more, you know, in our seasons to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no shortage of things to learn. We're constantly learning every day. So that's fantastic. Uh, so then I want to know a little more about you. So you talked about how you got into this, but why the passion of teaching kids? What was, what drove that passion? Yeah. Um, so from a very, very young age, I remember like the age of two or the age of three, I would always stand super close to the TVs. And back then they were like super tiny and you had to stand close to actually like feel like you're immersed. Um, and so I always just remember watching like Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. I was a huge Barney and Friends freak. I wanted to be one of those kids. And that's another Another reason that I loved Barney Friends, because it was children of all cultures, all backgrounds, even on Sesame Street. And so um, in the back of my mind, at the age of two or the age of three, I clearly distinctly remember thinking, if I broke this TV, I could jump into the TV and be a part of this show. I could be <laughs> one of those kids. And that has been ingrained into the back of my brain for forever, basically. And um, my my mom was a teacher, um, was a middle school teacher. My grandfather was a, a music teacher for 30 plus years. My aunt was a, um, a second grade or first grade teacher for forever. And so it's it's kind of in our in my family. And I always love education um, and always having this this connection with children, being able just to talk to them like they're they're human beings, you know, not baby talking to them, you know, just asking them how they are. And I, I think that from a very young age, I was babysitting and, you know, uh, being a part of, of like children's ministries and making sure that they, you know, feel included. And it, it's just a, a really great thing that got me into the education space. At one time, I wanted to be an English teacher of high school and I remember after a semester, my mom's like, no, like you're really wow. great with little, little kids. And that's kind of the path you went. So thanks mom for pushing me down that avenue because <laughs> who knows, I would have been a, a terrible English teacher in high school. That's oh, man. not my, not my niche. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like it. it doesn't sound like it at all. I mean, I, when I picture English uh, teachers and if there's any out there, I'm sorry, but I, I picture it as more, more dry and more matter of fact, there's probably not much singing. So, uh, Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> some That's... rapping, right? Right. You can rap some some poetry oh, yeah. and stuff. That would be cool. Oh man, that uh, was was that the uh, movie uh, uh, Gangsters Paradise? Is that the no? That's the song. But there was a movie. <laughs> Wasn't that a teacher that kind of came to the high school and mm -hmm. did all the things? I don't know if she rapped or not. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. <laughs> but 
that would have been you. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous even saying it. Yeah. It's just it's just crazy how like the patterns of possibility, the patterns that are in your lives are pushing you towards where you're supposed to be. And a lot of the times I look at the patterns and I was just focusing on like the nose, um, focusing on the negativity, you know, oh, I didn't get this opportunity. Oh, I didn't get this internship, you know, getting really upset and, you know, taking it personally. And then I had to train my brain to focus on the yeses, to focus on the good, you know, who who is going to say yes? Who is believing in you? Who is going to be able to push you and guide you? Yeah. And all these people have been moving me along, and I've noticing all these patterns of these possibilities that you know are endless. And you know, the world is your oyster. You just have to find that path and just stay dedicated. Yeah. So this is very natural for you to do the teaching and music because that that runs in your family. It's a huge influence on you. And you, you were, I don't know, I guess when, I'm curious though. Um, so we talked about the patterns and I'm always looking for one in someone. When I talk to them, I'm like, well, what led to this to led to that? And so I'm curious, like you've had the ability to, um, or access to teachers music. So you learned music. When did you start actually like kind of targeting specifically to, to young kids? Was it something that, uh, I'm looking for, I guess, like what happened after two years old? <laughs> <laughs> what happened after two years old? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, I got immersed into theater, into musical theater. Um, at the age of four, my grandfather was teaching me piano. Um, and so that kind of led me down the path of, of music. And, you know, I instead of watching like like preschool television shows, I would be watching like The Sound of Music or Mary Poppins, like these these really long musicals but i i just loved them i remember for my uh fourth birthday or i guess it was my fifth birthday i was in preschool and instead of bringing in like a barney tape i brought in the sound of music and we watched the sound of music and i was the only one watching it but it was just something that you know i loved and and so i i really always have wanted children to have a love of music and to have a love of theater um I remember going to my first Broadway musical was the Keenan Eye, and I think I was like five years old. And my my parents tell me that we were like way up in the top, but I just remember like watching the entire thing and just being like speechless because it was my first experience of being able to immerse myself into into that that culture. Um, and mm -hmm. so that is part of why I. I'm so interested in children and, you know, into teaching, but also creating things that are for children because I want to give them that same experience that I had. And they might not be able to ex go to a Broadway play, but I want to give them that same level of quality and do it in mm -hmm. a fun and interactive way where they are learning something at the same time. Yeah, that's what I picked up too. Uh, I picked up the, so specifically looking at the idea of talking to children as if they are regular human people instead of baby talking. And it sounds like that's what happened with you. Like you just got, people just treated you like, oh, you're just a person, but you're smaller and that's it. And everything you say is valid. Hey, I'm going to share some music with you. Oh, you're interested in something more than Barney and friends. Well, here's something, the sound of music that's a little more grown up mm -hmm. that you can 
you can relate to as well. So it sounds like that experience worked out very well for you and you want to replicate that for the others, for the the other kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I hear that it is more beneficial to talk to children just the way normal like uh, without baby talk and, and stuff too. It's it's better for development. Yes, it is. Um, especially when they are growing in those early years, it's important that you are te- like just talking to them normally because then they might have like a speech impediment or they might catch up on you know some of the words that they are saying. Um, and I remember growing up and being I I w- was very small for my age. I was always the shortest kid in class, like the scrawny little thing. And I go to a restaurant and I'm able to read and they don't give me a kid's menu. And I remember like putting my fist down and saying, I can read. And, you know, I never wanted a child to feel inferior like that. I wanted to always bring out the positive in them. And so just, you know, just talking to them and, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt and and knowing you know, reading the room, you know, you have to read the room with kids, you have to play off of them, because some kids might be able to take things to the next level, like what you were saying um, about like, the, the sound of music, and some kids can't. And so you have to adapt how you are talking to a child based off of, you know, where they are developmentally. Yeah, so you have to personalize your conversation with them, like, based on what they can understand. So do you do you find that a lot of children really understand uh, more than what we give them credit for? Yes. Yes. Um, there <laughs> are so many good. times when, you know, I'm, I, I love television. You know, it's something that I'm very passionate about um, and, and seeing shows that are, you know, taking kids' minds to the next level. Um, But there are a lot of shows where it's just like, it's just brainwashing them. (laughs) And it's just so like, quote unquote, babyish, because that's what people think, oh, well, this is what kids need. And it's like, no, like, kids are sophisticated, you know, they're able, they might not pick up on every single little thing, but make it make it, you know, fun and enjoyable, but don't bring it down so that they're feeling like they're not going to be able to get anything out of it. Yeah, I think that engagement is important. You don't want to brainwash them, essentially put them in front of a TV, and they're not uh, interacting at all. I mean, if you have to watch a video, then maybe there should be interaction would be better. But passively absorbing information doesn't really help, especially, um, you know, when they have to go and apply this information too. I, I really like this idea of actually uh, giving some real examples of situations. So in your latest episode, you talked about teamwork. And I thought that was a really great episode uh, because it kind of highlighted different points of view from each of the characters. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired that episode? <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yeah, so that is actually something that happened in a classroom uh, when I was teaching. I, I just remember you know, people, kids coming up to me and giving me all their different perspectives, you know, and I just remember I said, okay, we're going to each share what really happened. And I know the kids that were exaggerating, you know, and weren't telling the truth. And then there were the kids that I could really count on that were like, no, Mr. K, this is actually what really happened. Um, But again, the teamwork song came just from kids 
wanting to be independent. When you're three and four years old, you want to be independent. You want to do things on your own, even though it might take a long time to do it. And so I really had to show my preschoolers that, no, we can all take one side of the bucket and walk it over and dump the Legos, you know, and and being able to do it on their um, with, with a team and to use that teamwork. Um, and this goes from, you know, as young as two years old, all the way up to even fourth graders, because fourth graders are starting to become even more independent. You know, they feel like they they know it all because they're about to go to middle school. And so <laughs> that was kind of where I was coming from, because as a fourth grade teacher, I was noticing kids that wanted to be independent and not let anyone else do anything. And so I kind of merged all the experiences together to create um, to create that episode. I like it. I like it. So I'm curious again about the the way this went down. So I want to understand: is it that you you got the kids together and you asked them all in front of each other what was your experience? What was your experience? What was your experience? Kind of. Um, I always wanted to uh, take children like possibly like into the hallway or back into like the library and just like kind of talk to them through individually because then one kid might say, no, that's not what happened. And when I was a, a newbie teacher, I would have them do it together. And I learned that's not the way to do it. Take them aside, have them draw a picture, you know, while they're waiting to share their story. Um, if they're old enough to write it down. And that way I can compare notes and have those receipts and, you know, really mm -hmm. understand, you know, what happened and have a generalized picture. Yeah. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that also adults listen to this. And I know that there are some adults that do not understand this concept that <laughs> other people experience the same thing mm -hmm. in a different way. Yep. God bless you for teaching these kids. <laughs> I mean, bless your heart for teaching these kids. So yeah, because that's a very, I think that's a fundamental thing to, to pick up. Like you are, you have your life and you have your experiences, but also other people have their experiences and understanding them is important. So I'm curious about the receipts that you had. And like, I mean, I'm so fascinated by the interaction with the, the kids and in, in this. So you sat them all down and you said, hey, this is how this person thinks it went. So that person thinks it went. I know that you said that initially you got them all together, but after you learned what was the most effective way to kind of share each other, make them aware that mm -hmm. each other had different experiences. Yeah. So I would like what you were saying, start out having them together when I was, you know, starting as teaching and it wasn't getting anywhere. It was just turning into fights. Um, and so I learned that I just asked the question, what happened? What happened? And that is a, you know, a question with so many different answers. And that way, they're just able to explain what happened. And a lot of times, um, even as adults, you know, we want to have the chance to be able to explain what happened. You know, we don't want to be accused of something that we didn't do or something that didn't happen right. because the person was told one thing, but it was not the truth. And so even as a leader, I've learned to be to ask those questions, you know, what happened, you know, um, exactly. those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, because even though you may have said something one way 
it could have impacted another person a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And feeling accused is definitely something we don't want to to do t- to anyone. We want to get the truth, and that because that doesn't solve anything. That doesn't help resolve any problem. Pointing the finger. Now we know what the problem is. Let's go tackle the problem, not anything else. Right. And so, it, it's hard on a podcast because one, kids have to use their imaginations and they're listening, and two you have that time crunch. So, you know, I, I had to create it where each kid was just sharing, you know, at, at a time and there wasn't any arguments, but I really wanted to share, you know, this is what could happen if, <laughs> if you share. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could be one for the parents to understand. Hey, just <laughs> don't make that mistake. Yeah. Uh, so I really like that you, you create a safe place for these kids to share their stories or share their experience with you. So that starts off right away, like as a, a teacher, they're like, you can talk to me about anything and hear, so what happened? But, and also you said that you know some of the behavior of the kids and you could uh, kind of pinpoint who is making uh, a little more exaggerated and people who are more reliable mm-hmm. and so forth. What made you so dedicated to uh, emotional intelligence and and teaching kids that? Yeah, social emotional learning or SEL, as they say in the education field, is very, very important for children to learn how to handle their emotions. Growing up, you know, we weren't taught how to handle our emotions. We were just taught just, you know, don't share your feelings, you know, just suck it up. And it's just very important how children are developing anxiety and they're, you know, they're developing depression at at record ages now. Um, And it's just important that there are school counselors that are taking the time to teach children how to um, handle their emotions, you know, do it in a in a in a way that is, you know, beneficial for not only for them, but for the people around them as well. and so I, I feel that um, school counselors are awesome. They are such a backbone of a school because they're able to talk to children. They're able to have those connections. And they even are teaching the teachers, you know, in the classrooms mm-hmm. how to handle different behaviors and to hand, handle those emotions. Um, and it's it's always evolving. And that's why I feel like school counselors, there should be a lot more in schools because there are more and more children that are, you know, developing these, these feelings, these emotions at, as I said, at, at record mm-hmm. lower ages. Definitely. So you talked about how, you know, SEL, I've not heard that before, social emotional learning. I have heard that, but the, there's, it's, it's becoming a very a conscious, a very conscious thing. Now people are really keying into that and showing how it is very important to to success in life. You know, you got to be able to control your emotions to get through uh, difficult situations, be resilient, mm-hmm. those things. So have you seen what happens or have you seen children who have a low social emotional uh intelligence like how have you seen how that has affected them or have you seen anything that would uh, affect them yeah so working from literally from two-year-olds all the way up to 10-year-olds and you know almost every single grade level um, there are children that have a low social emotional awareness Um, they don't 
know how to handle all of these emotions that are, you know, happening on a daily or even an hourly basis. Um, and so just using a toolbox that you can have in the back of your mind, you know, going to professional developments that are, you know, how to handle children that have anxiety, um, you know, what are ways that you can help a child with depression? Um, and that's where the safe space really comes into play, where you're not there just to teach a child, you're there to really just invest in them. And it's, it's a lot easier for early childhood education, because you are with those kids as a classroom teacher, you know, all day, every day, except when they go to lunch or to specials. And so you do create those connections and you get that awareness for children. You also have to model it yourself personally. And so if I'm feeling upset, I'm not going to start lashing out and start screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm going to take a deep calming breath because that's what I'm teaching the children. And so it's very important that you are being the model. I always use the analogy of when a child is screaming at a store or a restaurant, everyone around is not looking at the child. They're looking at the caretaker and how they react. And so it's very important that you as the adult have the autonomy just to take a step back, take a breath, and then start using different strategies for your child. Also using positive behavior um, is essential. You know, as I said before, you're focusing on the positive, you know, praising them for for doing a a, a positive um, act or a positive deed that they did. And also, if you have other children praising them for doing a positive behavior, and that might change the mindset of a child and thinking, oh, now I need to mimic this behavior because that brings, you know, attention from from a caretaker or, or from a teacher. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah, definitely that um, the scenario of the child screaming in a restaurant or a store grabbed my attention because now I do think about it and I think about how the parent is treating them. And people of my age, I'm almost 40, um, people of my age and maybe older would say, oh, you need to, to whip that person, you need to whip them because they're being so bad. And that caretaker has no idea how to raise kids, they're a disgrace and all that stuff. But we found that that's not really um, helpful, right? Right. Because then you become fearful. You know, you start becoming fearful of making the wrong move. You know, you're always like walking on eggshells. And that's not how you should have with a child. You need to have a positive connection, a positive relationship. But you also don't want to be walked all over by a child. You know, you have to have this, this, this distinct barrier, like, no, you need to be firm with them. But you also need to be fair with them as well. Oh, firm and fair. I like yes. that. Yes. So that that sounds like a, a mantra to live by with kids because they definitely need boundaries. They don't know as much about the world as we do. They depend on us to help them and guide them through it. So definitely we want to be fair and we want to be firm to help them be strong. Um, so then with the emotional intelligence, you have done a lot of extensive work. It sounds like you've done extensive work because you believe in in modeling in front of the kids. So I mean, that must have taken quite a bit of time because I know that uh, just dealing with, um, you know, a few kids here and there, 
can be difficult for many people, but you do this all the time for young ones. So that, how did that, how did you do that? Or, or what did you do to, to get that uh, experience? Yeah, so I went to a teacher preparation college um, at a small liberal arts college in in Philadelphia, um, and I had great mentors, you know, who helped with behavior management and really just just taught the positive way of how to handle these emotions. And then once I stepped into the actual classroom, um, I was, you know, using you know, a clip chart, you know, pr- trying to praise them. And then I found the awesome app class dojo, um, which each child gets a an avatar or a monster, and then they get rewarded points for doing positive um, deeds. So being respectful, being a role model, um, you know, having good manners, and each child can have a different goal. And then at the end of each week, or the end of two weeks, they can cash in those tokens for prizes. Um, just as a as a positive reward for them. And that was such a game changer, you know, going into my first few years as a um, official certified teacher, because previously, I was like a preschool teacher, a preschool assistant. Um, and so as having like my my official classroom, and then I went to um, to Penn State for my master's in special education. And that's when I started to start thinking about how do I handle those behaviors that are extreme? And so I was able to write my thesis paper on using an individualized behavior plan for children that, you know, need a little bit more assistance. So if the class dojo point system isn't working, then you do this individualized sticker chart where each subject or each period of the day, so, you know, morning meeting, breakfast, um, reading time, song time, they get a smiley face. And then after a couple of smiley faces, they get to do five minutes of whatever they want. And Mm. kids love that because it's taking ownership over, over their, their um, emotions and over their behavior, which is great. Yeah. So many wonderful things about that. It, Definitely the autonomy. I'm learning something and I'm I'm gaining something. I can clearly see the benefit of what I'm doing. Like if I behave this way, the positive reinforcement, I will get this, uh, I'll get these tokens and I'll get this free time that I want. And then, wow, with this free time, I have my own responsibility. And so mm-hmm. you give them, you learn, you teach them how to be responsible. So a couple of things I caught in there though uh, about emotions, the positive emotions. So you talked about... Uh, uh, the way to deal with emotions in a positive way. So I'm thinking about somebody who is like full of anxiety or maybe because anger is so easy to, to pinpoint someone who's had a, a tantrum. So what do you do? What do you do? What would you do in that situation? That's such a great question because different people handle it in different ways. Um, it's all about the relationship with the child. So the the day one you have to make that connection you have to make that that positive relationship with that child because then once they are having a tantrum you're able to get down on their level if they are if they are shorter than you you need to get down on their level look at them directly in the eye and talk to them in a positive way what happened you know going back to that question what happened um are you feeling and and sometimes they're they're so um, 
uncontrollable and they're not able to pinpoint how they're feeling. So I have like a feelings chart where it has all different feelings and then they're able to point to which feeling they are. And then I'm able to talk them through that feeling. Now, if they're still unable to control, then that's when I might have um, like a dean of students who has a positive relationship or a school counselor. And then they're able to come in and give more services and interventions, you know, on the spot immediately to assist the child. Um, I got you. But yeah, so then, uh, yeah, so I hear you have lots of tools. You've, you've, uh, you've gone to training for this. So you have lots of tools to actually interact with them and help them help them understand what's going on. I firmly believe that when we have these emotions, they come and they all of a sudden, if we don't know what they are, we're acting upon them. We don't, we've not seen this before. It's so intense. I don't know what to do. So uh, that's what happens. And happens mm-hmm. to the kiddos too, a little. And so it happens to everybody who is, is human. And so you have a, you have a chart to teach them what emotional, what emotion they're dealing with. And I find that is so fantastic because um, it's something that I did as like a 35 year old. <laughs> I looked at a chart to kind of figure out to, to increase the emotional intelligence because um, the way to connect to people is to basically it, describe your experience. So you can't live their experience, but you can describe it. So you're teaching the young ones to be able to describe what's happening to them, name it to tame it. Yeah. So, and it's also important that you are looking again for those patterns um, and to, and to track when, when are these behaviors happening? Um, so what I would do is I would just have a checklist of different times and maybe the child is eloping. They're refusing to do their math and I'm noticing, okay, math time every single day, there's something. And I find out that the child doesn't like math, you know, or maybe they're about to, um, take a spelling test and they're starting to act out. Okay. It's because they don't want to take this test. So again, looking at those patterns, always being watchful and aware of your children and I know it's it's easier when when you're a parent because you only have a few kids. But when you're a teacher of 28, 30 second graders in, in a small classroom, you know, you really still need to be paying attention and aware of those behaviors. And also not just focusing on the, the, the children that are doing those negative or those undesirable behaviors, because many times you want your entire class to to look like the 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 poster child of of teaching and saying yes yes sir okay and that's not how it is in teaching and so um knowing that it's okay if all your children are not all sitting crisscross applesauce on the rug maybe some are kicking their legs up in the air or maybe they're they're twirling their hands you know as long as they're on the carpet and they're interacting i'm okay with that because at the beginning of my teaching career i wanted them all to be perfect all to look (laughs) great and that's not how it is you know we all learn you know even as adults when we're talking like right now i have a pencil in my hand it's just one of my my quirks you know i always have to have something in my hands and you know drawing or things like that and so i've taken that and allow kids you know to draw when when they're they might be bored because it's giving them something to do instead of them running around a classroom and hitting other friends. So always focusing on the positive, but also intervening 
when you know that a trigger is happening for a child and try to avoid those triggers and giving them as much notice as possible. Yeah, because I was gonna I was gonna ask you about uh, the intervention and how that comes about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you noticed you've been tracking their behavior and you've noticed that some people are a little cranky at this time. So then what what would you do to intervene? Because you know that math is coming up and you know that they're not going to like it. How are you going to handle that? How do you do that? So I make them like a teacher's helper and I, I allow them to pass out like the whiteboards and, you know, have them call on, have them be the teacher and have them call on kids to come up and to, to, you know, play on this smart board and, um, you know, show how to do the problems. And then I learned that once you engage that child at that time, they're going to take more ownership over their behaviors and, and start loving math. And then teaming them up with a, uh, maybe they're really, really low and they're struggling with math, teaming them up with a child that is on a higher level of math and, you know, making that connection. And then the children is, the students are able to teach each other instead of you being the one that teaches. And a lot of the times, Lee, I notice that kids are willing to listen to other kids, not the teacher. So I could show them a bazillion (laughs) times how to do something, or I might use like a puppet, you know, and or a stuffed animal, and they might listen that way. But I've learned that if they usually like to learn from from their peers, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I'm, I didn't know that about kids. You know, I kind of thought that um, maybe it's because of the way I was born, uh, grown up. Maybe it's the way I grew up thinking that oh, adults know stuff and our our kids don't. But and now that I think about it, uh, I think, well, you know, middle school, high school, they talk about stuff between them. The, uh, peer groups, we like to learn from our, our peer groups. Our, our elders don't know as much as we think or, or they think. So we roll our eyes at them and mm-hmm. the kids don't know as much as we do either. So we roll our eyes at them. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> it definitely makes sense. Again, you have to, you have to read the room. You know, some kids mm-hmm. don't want to be with another child. They just want to be with the teacher. And so you, again, you have to, you have to play off of how the kid is feeling and, you know, use what's best for their learning strategy. So then what, what are some of the things that you do to enforce the, the positive behavior, like reinforce uh, the behavior? You said that you see them doing something good or uh, good or bad. Let's uh, remove that. Cause I don't think that's in your vocabulary either. Right. Right. So the, yeah. the good you usually, but when they are having a temper tantrum, you do need to label that that undesirable behavior. So we don't say bad yes. behavior, we say undesirable because I'm looking for the desirable. Um, and so mm-hmm. what you do is you you have to just say, wow, like just the littlest, smallest thing, like, wow, um, Nino, I noticed that you're sitting crisscross applesauce on the carpet, way to be a role model to our class. And just that that positive way is just like, Oh, he he's noticing me, you know. Oh, I'm going to do this more often because it's going to get get me attention. You know, this this might be the only time a child in their day has a positive interaction with an adult. You know, some kids might not have um a, an adult in their in their home because they're working two three jobs and it's an older sibling that's taking care of them. And so just, you know, again modeling a positive relationship with that child and and you know, just talking to them. Don't always have to talk about rules and procedures, but hey, how was your weekend? What did you mm-hmm. do? Share. 
sure. You know, how, how's your, how's your uh, baby sister? You know, oh, she's crying again. Oh, you must be so tired. You know, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. How about you go sit in the library, get a stuffed animal and, you know, just relax for five minutes, you know, just, just really show children that you are invested in them and then they'll be invested in you. And then you'll have this, this level of respect for each other. Definitely. I really like that you talk about investing in the children and uh, it, it just really, it changes the way that even I think about how my interaction would be. Because if I'm investing in something, I'm really hoping to see it grow and nurture and see that whatever I do for it uh, leaves a a very positive and powerful impact on it, not just teaching them and it's it's like throwing something out there and like, well, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But investing is something that's completely different with it. Yeah. So- and that teacher, Lee, that you were talking about with the syrup and, you know, drizzling it and making cool, she invested her time to do that. And that has made a lasting impression on you for all of these years. And so mm-hmm. it could be the smallest little thing to a teacher because we're looking at the big picture but to a child, it's, it's, it means the world if you just spend one, one moment, you know, to do something. So you never know the impact you have. You just got to keep going because you, you do make a lasting impression on, on children. Yes, yes. And, you know, as we start to wrap up here, I do want to touch on this idea of uh, good and bad and desirable and undesirable. I believe that good and bad invite shame and and shame is kind of uh is is difficult it doesn't really i don't think it it helps with uh with being open it doesn't help that because all of a sudden i did something bad i am bad they don't hear i did something bad i I am bad and so we want to make a distinction so why is it that you say undesirable and desirable because it's what you are expecting from that child you are expecting this behavior. And so if you're saying, oh, that's that's a bad way to do that, it has a negative connotation for a child because they might be told their entire life, oh, you're a bad kid. You know, there's good in everyone. You know, as you said, like you step out into the world when you're an adult and you're like, mm, there cannot be good in every single person, but there is good in everyone. You just need to foster that. Again, creating those relationships because you are expecting to have this positive um, behaviors, and that is what you are desiring for that child. And so when they're doing the opposite, that's an undesirable behavior because they are able to change their ways and to, and to change it to a positive um, means for them. Yeah. And I, when I think about that too, think about desirable, undesirable. So it's about them getting what they want out of the situation. So if they want, uh, you know, to be uh, acknowledged and throwing a temper tantrum isn't going to get them the kind of attention that they were looking for. They want to be acknowledged, not so much. So do you desire to be acknowledged? Then do the desirable behavior to make that happen. Right. And if you, if you, see a temper tantrum and you give into them, then that child is thinking, okay, well, I can get away with this. If I just, you know, throw a temper tantrum, I'm going to get what I whatever I want. And then that carries 
into your adulthood. So it's important that you, you're not always going to get what you want in this mm-hmm. life. And again, that's where that distinctive line of, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not just a friend of yours, but I'm also going to be your, um, you know, your superior kind of and guiding your mentor and guiding you through this crazy thing that we have called life. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. K. Well, Mr. K, this was a fabulous episode. I really enjoyed our conversation. And although we talked about children, we really are talking about people. Everything that we said here can be applied to an adult. We can talk about desirable and undesirable behavior without calling them good or bad. We can develop relationships with them. Um, with day one, we can understand how they feel. We cannot accuse them of things. We can do all these things. We don't have to just do them for for children. But I mean, wouldn't it be great if they learned it sooner rather than later? Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So Mr. K, can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, the Mr. K show. Um, a podcast for kids is available on all audio streaming services. Um, you can go to mrkshow.com and you can find all the links there. Um, probably where Patterns of Possibility is, you can also find the <laughs> Mr. K Show. So once this episode uh, concludes, you can just go right over and search the Mr. K Show. Absolutely. And so I do have a question though. Uh, do you recommend it? Can you recommend an episode? Like which one is a, a good one to start with? I say start from the episode one. Um, it kind of guides you through who the different characters are, but you can you can jump into any episode. So if you're if you're noticing that your child or your students are having a difficulty of teamwork, then play that episode for them or giving thanks. You know, play that episode. Um, a big one that you know I um, was our season finale, which is I can do anything. And telling kids that they can literally do anything if, if they just, you know, don't give up. They have that perseverance. So um, whatever you're noticing with your children, maybe they're having low self-esteem. Start with episode one, which is you matter. And every episode, Mr. K, I end the episode saying, always remember you matter because everyone matters in this world, no matter who you are or where you come from. That's right. Everyone matters. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I have listened to a few episodes. I enjoy them. And I, like I said, they are they they are pretty high quality too. It's not just like a, a song, but you actually have sound effects and and story with them too. Different voices. Yeah. So we have a um, we have. A- uh, four voice actors that that do our um, voice acting. We have an audio editor. We have a Hollywood composer who helps with the songs um, and the scoring. And so it is what we're trying to do again is to create that high quality for children and that that Broadway style for them um, right on their on their devices. Yes, absolutely. It'd be memorable and uh, something that will stay with them for all time. I mean, if you watch Barney, you know the cleanup song. You That's know right. I, st- <laughs> I still know it. I still uh, know can- it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Mr. K. I loved having you here. And I hope that we could talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. I greatly appreciate it. 
My name is Coach Lee Hopkins, and you have been listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. You can find me at PatternsofPossibility.com and on all social media at Patterns of Possibility. And as always, I want to encourage you to be yourself, live your truth, and there you'll make lasting friendships.